0: Good night, whatever the hell time of day it is. It's whiskey time. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing with this, but we're just going to roll with it. You're listening to the Witten Whiskey cast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Mark Rosetti Jr., and you can tell I'm a little giddy already today. And as always is the Robin to my Batman, DJ Gagdon. I'll take it. Robin's better than Batman anyways. I uh, See, I knew that you'd be the only person on Earth that would like that intro. Yeah. Like I just I know my audience now. We're what thirty some episodes in. I know my audience. Yeah, catered to the bunny. <laughs> well, uh, we are here once again, folks, to pick up where we left off last week with some of our mm, spicy opinions on the world of digital video games. And uh, buckle up because it's only going to get hotter from here. Oh yeah,
1: there's 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 some. Uh, whew we're going ghost pepper today, folks.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not going to end well. It's not going to get any better. So if you had hope of our trash opinions getting any better, just no, it's not. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not much better. I am better, but I'm not much better. So yeah. there is that. But all right, uh, before we jump into that and just piss off, you know, the eight remaining listeners that we have, what'd you do this week, brother?
1: Uh, it's just, it's been a crazy week with work this week, um, but I, I've got some awesome opportunities coming up at work that uh, I'm looking forward to. So by the time this uh, podcast goes up, we, yeah, I think it's going to be official, which will be nice, but I'll be able to talk about more, more of that next time. Ooh, uh, leaving us in suspense. Yeah, I, I try. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it was a good week. But also kind of a sad week because uh, Sony announced this week that they are shutting down the PlayStation stores for the PS3 and Vita this summer. Oh, no. Anyway. (laughs) Uh. And I, I might be one of like four people that still owns a Vita. I have it sitting next to me. It's all charged. It's a wonderful console. Um, so I, I treated myself a little bit I stayed up until 1.30 this morning And I went through the entire PlayStation store for Vita Just every single game I looked at every single game in the Vita store uh, To see if there was anything that I really wanted to grab Before they closed down the store And I ended up uh, dropping some money on I don't know if you ever played these ones It's a, a trilogy of games called the Zero Escape games I've never played them, but I have heard of them. They're very good, and I've never actually owned all three of them. So uh, I I bought uh, 999 Virtue's Last Reward and Zero Time Dilemma. So uh, I'm looking forward to kind of playing those all in sequence. And, you know, I downloaded half a dozen indie games that I had acquired over the years. And uh, it's also, like, my Vita is, it, it's this weird cross-section of some really nice AAA games that I chose to get on the Vita instead of anything else, and also my uh, Persona and classic Final Fantasy console. So I've got Personas 1 through 4 on the Vita, as well as Final Fantasies
0: 4 and 6 through 9. (laughs) I like to think I'm a fan of some franchises, but I don't have dedicated consoles. (laughs) <laughs> just th- So, Hey, you know, this is, if you can hear me, this is me clapping. Kudos.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So for, for the other three people out there who own a Vita, I feel your pain. My friends, uh, go out there, you know, throw, throw one last coin out to that Vita store and, and let's send them off with a bang.
0: It was kind of funny. DJ and I were just, uh, was it last night you were texting us about this, or two nights ago? I think so. It, w- it wasn't very long ago as we record this, and, you know, I made a very similar joke. Uh, but I had said, hey, you know, you know, much like we-, we we are discussing here in these last week's episode and this week's episode, my tastes are trash, too. I have a PSP, and yeah. it was funny because this morning IGN or Game Bite or somebody had up that I guess this is the anniversary of the PSP today. Yeah. So that just made me chuckle. So if you still have any UMD discs laying around, uh, you know, pour one out for the PSP.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's all it's all the same. I mean, I I've got a PSP three thousand somewhere in the basement that I, I wanna dig out and recharge and see if it uh it still works. But yeah, I it's we should do a console war at some point on I I don't know like the DS and the Vita or the Game Boy and the the PSP that there's probably a console war there that it, you know is in between generations and you'll win it hands down but I just it's the little console that just couldn't.
0: No, that was the Saturn. We already talked about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for the record, uh, at, well, you know, if you're listening to this far into the future, long after it's recorded, this won't be true. But as of right now, as of us recording this, our Saturn versus N64 episode is our most downloaded episode. Oh, wow. Like, by far. That's awesome. So, so people we got six on like that, that one? Uh, actually, it's Eight. Believe it or not. That's pretty good. Um, so you know, we're we're getting up there, uh, uh but people really seem to enjoy the uh, just the vile hate we were spewing at one another <laughs> during yeah. during that episode. That'll be fun. I we gotta keep those going. I can't wait
1: to get to the cube era. Maybe season three. Season three, I
0: think that'll be the big gauntlet.
1: Nice. We'll
0: throw but it down. What about you, buddy? How was your week? I've been embracing nostalgia this week. Uh Oh, and no, not in a professional historian capacity. Uh, It just it seems to keep finding me. Uh, You know, I've mentioned off and on that I dabble with uh, nitro powered RC cars, Mm -hmm. uh, methanol powered RC cars, and I was looking to buy another one. So I went to our local hobby shop and instead I ended up instead of buying another 70, 80 mile an hour gasoline fed rocket. I ended up buying a large, slow, electric-powered truck. But I had to, because it was Bigfoot. uh, A few years ago, the Bigfoot company released a 110 electric RC scale model of Bigfoot 1, the original monster truck. Oh, I loved that one. And as people that have listened to our first real episode, not the pilot, know... Uh, that was one of the three fandoms I picked for our first episode. It might have been the first one actually, when you made fun of the way I pronounced CAD design. CAD. Uh, so I had to buy it. I just, I just had to. And so it's sitting here, and it's wonderful. And I'm looking to try to figure out how to get crush cars for it, because there's a company in Canada that makes actual one tenth scale plastic crush car bodies, but they want $35 a piece. Plus you have to go through shipping. So that's not going to happen. But once I get that figured out, it'll be glorious. So we had that. And then I had mentioned uh, during our character creation game, we were talking about tabletop games and whatnot, and I had mentioned that I had never played the Fallout tabletop RPG. Well, they have recently reprinted and re-released the book. It apparently came out in October in the midst of the Rona, I missed it. So I may have ordered that. That That's on its way here.
1: You so. know, I, I had gone out and like done some searching for the episode we, we did. After after we did that episode, I went and, and did some research, and I'm like, huh, I wonder if this RPG is the same one Mark talked about, and then
0: I completely forgot to mention it to you. Well, to be... Uh, <laughs> It is, but it isn't. It seems like they've they've modified it and they've expanded it because you can play it a few different ways. You could play it as just a straight uh, tabletop RPG. You can play it with a miniatures game, which is more along the lines of, say, Warhammer or Malfo or... Uh, wh- what's the other one? Star Wars Rebels? Is that is that their army's game? I don't, uh, I don't know. Basically, you would pick a Fallout faction build a model army and then complete objectives and you could do it either you know co-op or against each other and then there's also a card based game component which is all about building settlements and whatnot so there's about six different ways you could play it i just want to get my hands on the book um just to gobble up that knowledge and to have it if we ever need it so i'm excited
1: interesting i um You were were saying that, and I'm I'm trying to pick, like, what Fallout faction I'd go... I think I'd go for Ghouls.
0: Looking around, you know, it's basically Blood Bowl all over again. I talked about Blood Bowl during our board game episode, and, you know, it's basically the same concept. Looking around, they have the starter set, which you get super mutants, you get dog meat, um, a just generic vault dweller, a Deathclaw things of that variety. There is a Raider set. There is an Institute set. There is a Brotherhood of Steel set. uh, There is a Ghoul set. The Mysterious Stranger is his own piece. Amazing. Um, So you have all that, and then they all have their own rules and their own cards. But I mean, just like Blood Bowl, the base game is $75. Well, it's supposed to lose for $75. You can get it a little cheaper now. But then each set is $45 a set. (laughs)
1: So, So, you'll be purchasing all of these, never playing it, and only
0: painting the figures. I may or may not have ordered some already to go with the book. Allegedly. (laughs) I cannot confirm nor deny. Uh, But you can play it solo. So, this one I think I'll actually play. Blood Bowl, you can't play solo. They actually give you, in the starter set, an AI deck to tell the enemies what to do so this one i might actually play if i can find a place big enough to put out the play mat because it's three by three nice Uh, so maybe down here in the summer kitchen studios who knows yeah or the floor or i mean i guess the floor (laughs) i'm old though my back could never stand up to that i need
1: to sit so i think this is the first time we've ever done this mark it is i'm very excited but uh, we have decided to, as we're closing out Women's History Month here in March, um, to try drinking the same whiskey at the same time uh, and, and kind of, you know, single boost some uh, the story behind this. So uh, we're drinking uh, the Jane Walker 2.0 release from uh, Diageo. Uh, it's part of the Johnny Walker brand and um it's uh it's aged 10 years uh and it's got kind of a cool story behind it which i'll definitely let mark share with you because you know he's our historian um (laughs) but i wanted to talk a little bit about about the whiskey itself and and uh what i have done to it um and i'm so i've got a little bit a little shot here and i've been sipping it as we've been talking and it's it's. I mean, it's Scotch, right? Uh, I am not the the biggest fan of Scotch, but it's it's smoky. It's it's smooth. Um, it, it doesn't make me hiccup, which is nice. Um, <laughs> well, you're not calling it bog water. Yeah, so no, it's not. You're actually it, enjoying this. Yeah, wine. it doesn't. It's t- it tastes smoky. It doesn't taste boggy. So, uh, I mean, already we're we're in we're in happy DJ territory here. Um, but it's good. It, uh, it's, it's a dark color. It comes in this really beautiful box and, and bottle, uh, for anybody that's familiar with the silhouette of Johnny Walker, of that, like, gentleman walking along with a cane, uh, Jane Walker has a similar silhouette, but it's a woman, and, uh, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. It's a white label instead of, like, a, a red or a black label.
0: Which is interesting, because officially, According to the distillery, this is an offshoot of Black Label. Yeah, but it's a white label, and uh, the Walking Lady is red. Yeah, so they're just confusing all of their brands. On this it one. is.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely deserving of that Black Label. It's it's really it punches you in in the uh, in the taste buds with that smoke. And uh, I mean, I I have nothing bad to say about smoke. My my go to whiskey is still Jameson Black Barrel, so it's good. It um. I, I kind of, I, I took a few sips and then I went out and I read some, uh, you know, what the tasting notes are supposed to be. And the, the only real tasting note I get is that like really dark chocolate bitterness, you know, that, that kind of a little bit creamy, a little bit bitter uh, on the tail end. Um, I'm supposed to be tasting flowers and uh, not flowers, uh, apples and peaches and, and things like that. And I, I, I guess, gun to my head, I can get hints of it, but I'm mostly just getting a lot of smoke. I'm getting a little bit of cream, uh, and I'm getting I'm getting some chocolate, and it's it's pretty good. I mean, I'm not really a Scotch fan, but I I do keep a bottle of Johnny around for for cocktails. So before we get into the history, uh, I thought I would I, I would play with it a little bit today, because again, not the biggest Scotch fan, but. Uh, I love it in a good cocktail. So I made a Scotch and soda uh, with with Jane Walker, and
0: I feel really, like I want to punch you. I know you, you and want I to punch go, you. you and I go through the trouble of not only getting the same Scotch to review, but getting a limited release. Getting both, getting our hands on two <laughs> bottles. And one day, the story will be told of what happened to my bottle. I still haven't figured it out yet. It literally looped around the New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, (laughs) Tri-State area about three or four times before it got to me. And you're going to put it in soda.
1: Yeah, it's great. Um, So, again, I knew... I hate you. I knew Mark was getting a rage about this. So, I decided to up my cocktail game a little bit. Normally, with a scotch and soda, you serve it with a twist of lemon uh, so I, instead I lit a match, I cut a coin of lemon and I caramelized the, the citrus oils before I expressed them into the cocktail, uh, through the match. So I got a nice little whoosh of, a uh, of flame and, uh, it definitely amps it up a little bit. I, am getting, you know, really like toasty lemon notes as I'm drinking it, which is really tasty. So, uh, if you have somebody in your life that hates you ruining, uh, good liquor, by putting it into cocktails, uh, maybe tell them to shut up and use caramelized uh, lemon expression and uh, maybe they'll get a little bit happier at you.
0: You're just lucky that our guest for next week isn't here this week. I yeah. mean, we wouldn't be reviewing this if he was. I purposely but you're did just this lucky. this
1: week instead of next week. <laughs> <laughs> because I knew that, that our guest next week is going to choose the whiskey for you. So uh, I didn't have and to... And it wouldn't be this. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but no, it's, it's good. I, um, if you're not, (sighs) Mark's going to be pissed, but if you're not much of a scotch fan and you want to try scotch, this is a good way to do it. Uh, I don't recommend starting with Jane Walker and I will not be making (laughs) scotch and sodas with the rest of my bottle. Um, I I still have a a very nice bottle, mostly full of Jane Walker. So, um... But a scotch and soda is a really great, accessible way to get into scotch if you're just not sure. Uh, and I would probably you know, grab some, uh, a decent well scotch, toss it in with some soda water, and, and play around with your, uh, your lemon um, and uh, you know, see what you think. It, it's a good way to kind of dilute it a little bit and get some of the flavor notes without getting punched in the jaw with smoke and peat and bog.
0: Well... I agree with the vast majority of what you just said, DJ. I too have the flavor notes up because again, I I thought we were going to review this the same way. Although I don't have a cocktail in front of me. I just have it over my trusty whiskey stones. Yeah. Uh, But it's funny when you look at the flavor notes, you realize for as many things as you could pick up and you think, yeah, I'm getting really good at this. There's 80 million of them that you can't. Oh yeah. Uh, I will say one thing you didn't mention that I definitely pick up in the on the nose of it is the uh, anise set, the anise. Oh. But that's just because I'm an Italian and we put anise in everything. So I have a pretty, pretty keen taste for that. So you do get some hints of anise there. Uh, now, you picked up on the smoke, but it, it's wood smoke. It's oak. Yeah. That's the, no- that, that's the big tasting note is you have the oak. It's a wood smoke. It's not a good cigar smoke. Uh, but otherwise, as you said, you do get that bitter, dark chocolate taste at the finish. It's good. Uh, they say there's some toffee in there. I, sometimes I think I can taste that. Sometimes I think it's just my head playing tricks with me. But like you said, yeah, no no fruitiness, no apples, no peaches. I, I don't taste any of that either.
1: No, yeah. I, I get I get like a, a hint of leather, which I didn't kind of expect.
0: Um <laughs> And you have an un. This is like the third or fourth Scotch you had that de- that you say leather. I don't know why. It just smells like
1: a leather coat. Um, but yeah, oh, no,
0: you, I, oh yeah, I mean, okay, I can kind of the, the smell on the nose. Yeah, all right, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. I don't taste leather, but I can no, no I, can I kind definitely of see where you are. Uh,
1: I don't chew on leather for a hobby, Mark. I, only, I
0: you you smell leather, not <laughs> eat it. Um, <laughs> No i that's another drop. Isolate that <laughs> d j choose leather for a hobby uh
1: I like it i I don't think I would drink Jane Walker very often, but i do I do like the the amp up of the smoke you get um we didn't We didn't think to actually compare this to Johnny Black, so that might be an interesting experiment someday. I'm gonna have to go and buy a bottle of Johnny black,
0: which I've drank a lot of in my day, so
1: yeah. <laughs> But uh, so I mean I've talked a lot and I'm sitting here uh, you know sipping both my shot and my scotch and soda. So uh, what what did you find out, Mark?
0: Oh, so you mean I okay? I'm just gonna stop seething now. <laughs> no, this was actually pretty interesting, and I actually delayed recording today by about ten minutes just because I wasn't paying attention. While DJ's like, "Hey asshole, we're gonna <laughs> record now," because uh, I was reading things on it, and maybe some of our listeners remember all this happening. I don't, and I mean. Obviously, now doing this podcast and everything, I'm much more mm, aware, I guess would be the word, of whiskey news, whereas before, you know, I wasn't actively looking for it, but this is something that I think I would have picked up on back in the day, but I missed. So as DJ said, this is Jane Walker 2.0. This is the second release. They did an initial release in 2018. Yeah, I
1: definitely was not drinking a lot of whiskey back then.
0: I was, but I don't remember any of this. Um, But unfortunately, it did not go very well. And basically, it began even worse than that, because it originally wasn't supposed to be released in 2018. It was originally supposed to be released in November of 2016. Because they believed that Hillary Clinton was going to win the election. Oh. So it was going to be released as a celebration of Hillary Clinton becoming president. That didn't happen. Really?
1: <laughs> Wait, Johnny Walker's from Scotland, isn't it?
0: I I know, but hang on. Let me let me find my. Uh, where, I mean, I I, just I, had, I won't make any yes. political statements did, here. I, I just how, I, now. How did you say it? Diego, Diago, Diagio. Diageo had originally planned to launch Jane Walker in the wake of Hillary Clinton's expected victory in the 2016 presidential election. Uh, this is from entrepreneur.com. This is an article from the day that it came out in 2016, which is the problem with Johnny Walker's Jane Walker brand. The problem with Johnny Walker's Jane Walker brand was perception. That, that's what the article is called. Mm. Uh, so yeah, apparently they wanted to tie it into there. It didn't work. So they put it on the shelf for about 18 months and they released it in March of 2018 for Women's History Month and for uh, International Women's Day, more specifically.
1: Yeah.
0: Because of that, it was accused of being pandering. You know, as DJ said, you have a woman on the bottle. It's named Jane Walker, not Johnny. Uh, the initial bottles were signed by Emma Walker in big script, And, uh, you know, they really made a big deal out of this being their promotion for, you know, phenomenal women in business and in marketing. And they actually were donating $1 from every bottle uh, sold to various women's charities and various women's causes. So the initial release was 250,000 bottles. So a quarter of a million dollars was going to go to all these different causes. The public, being the public, hated it. And it drew some comparisons to the Dodge La Femme, which, if you don't know what that is, I don't blame you. It's an early 50s Dodge car that was built specifically for women. It only came in pink and was, instead of a cigarette lighter, it had a stick of lipstick in it and just all these ridiculous Well, yeah, now
1: that sucks.
0: (laughs) Yes. And even in the 50s, people were like, no, (laughs) just no. But for whatever reason, this was being compared to that uh, to the point that the uh, CEO, vice president, I'm sorry, Johnny Walker brand vice president, Stephanie uh, Jacoby actually had to go on to uh, the late show with Stephen Colbert And I don't remember any of this, but when she was on The Late Show, she said, Scotch is a category that is seen as particularly intimidating to women. Yeah, uh, not the best choice of words. Uh, And because of that, Jane Walker is a really exciting opportunity to invite women into our brand. Oh, God.
1: Yeah. I've never had a statement make my sphincter tighten up so quickly.
0: Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah. No, I was reading that when you were texting me earlier going, there ain't no way she said that. But apparently she said that. That's so tone deaf. It's so tone deaf. And when you. Now, here's the thing. I mean, we've all I mean, I've done TV. I think you've done TV from time to time, especially if you're not. In acting or whatever, you get there. Especially if it's a show like that, the cameras are on. You have people in front of you. You freeze up. You panic. Hey, whatever. This doesn't sound like that. Yeah, but rampant sexism doesn't generally fall out of my mouth. No, no, no. But but even well, let's assume that that happened. This this sounds so well, too well put together to just be a panicked. You D- know, Diageo uh, is a up.
1: huge fucking like declaration. Exactly. What? How the fuck did they not do a focus group on this?
0: Some PR person wrote that and said, this is good. We're going to give this to our vice president, but because she's a woman, it'll be okay if she says
1: this. Yeah, it's good to alienate an entire gender that actually does enjoy scotch. What the fuck? Yes.
0: Uh, So, you know, instead, basically they released it on International Women's Day, but instead of trying to make it as a scotch supporting women, which in the background it was, because they were donating to these charitable causes and blah, blah, blah. They just made it as a scotch for women. And uh, obviously, you know, our our rough and tough manly men aren't going to drink that because that's for the girls. And women are like, hey, fuck you. That reminds me of, like, growing up,
1: my dad had all, like, his his wood shop right he had all of his tools in the basement and on the first floor we had one set of tools and it was like a pink tool case that my mom had bought when she got her first apartment and i just it's just tone deaf it's like women need to fix sinks women do enjoy scotch like can we not be shitty about
0: this well, uh, Miss Jacoby did later try to put the genie back in the bottle. Would you like to hear her follow-up?
1: Yes, please uh, tell me that what we're drinking is not quite as problematic.
0: No, well, this, this, is, this is still the ending. We'll, we'll, we'll put the cap on on uh, the first release, and then we'll move on to what we're drinking. Okay. To, to put a cap on the first release, uh, Stephanie Jacoby said, this wasn't about making a whiskey specifically for women we would never make anything that's quote-unquote for women's palates only. Taste buds simply have no gender. Okay. True. Okay. Not what you said the first time, though. That's that's good, <laughs> yeah. There wasn't
1: a but in there, was there?
0: No, there wasn't a butt, and there weren't any ellipses, so they didn't trim the quote at all. Oh, so we have that. Good. So, um... They learned their lesson. They got burned pretty bad on the first release of Jane Walker. They didn't... I mean, they sold the 250,000 bottles, but I think it took them a good amount of time. They got tremendous negative PR from it. They were just a laughing stock. So they waited roughly another 18 months. Actually, a little bit longer than that. I think it was originally going to be 18 months, and then the Rona put it it, uh, into uh, back... Push push back. So here we are now, again, for uh, Women's History Month, and it just released uh, on the 7th for International Women's Day. But you have Jane Walker 2.0. And now this is to, this specifically is being marketed as a celebration of the talented, bold, and pioneering women who make some of the world's most pioneering and beloved spirits.
1: Okay. So they're going
0: to tie this into a campaign of women distillers and women brewers this okay. time. A lot smarter. What they should have done the first time. Yes. Uh, so now this second one is it favors whiskey from Cardu, a nearly 200-year-old distillery in the high heart of the Speeside. So no wonder why you like it, DJ. <laughs> that flourished under the leadership of one Elizabeth Cummings. This pioneering woman ultimately sold Cardew to the Walker family in 1893, but she played a significant role in the foundation of our brand's great history. Now, that's a hell of a lot better.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> I've been holding my breath this whole time being like, please tell me I'm okay. like we didn't just completely fuck up our, our episode by being
0: super shitty. No, 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 it, it, and it gets better as well because Emma Walker is back, bless her. She's uh, fronting the project again, and this time she's got kind of a little sass. You know, she, she fell by the wayside. They're not letting Stephanie Jacoby talk this time, which is great. <sighs> yeah. And Emma Walker is claiming that she has, and I believe it with everything that they own, access to just over 10 million casks of, dis- of maturing whiskey from distilleries across Scotland. And with her extensive scientific research and her years of family spirits industry background, she has created a scotch with a precise palate and understanding of flavor for a well-rounded and smooth whiskey for men and women. Yes. Oh, my God. That makes me feel so much better. She goes on that Jane Walker by Johnny Walker is a celebration of the pioneering women who stretch their boundaries, which is why the woman is stretching. She's striding on the bottle uh, throughout the history of Johnny Walker. And this whiskey is an excellent example of both the depth of flavor and innovative blends that we create from our incredible reserves. Hell yeah. And this apparently is going to be the first release in a series uh, from God. how the hell did you say it again? Diageo. Diageo, I I'm bad today, but uh, it's apparently the first release in Diageo's Craftswomen program.
1: Nice, yeah, I think um, I think that's awesome. I can't wait to see what they do next with it. I mean, it's a good Scotch. I, I wish I was a, more of a Scotch fan to enjoy it even more, but I mean, I. I th- One of my very dear female friends, uh, Ruth, was the first person to ever really introduce me to a scotch I liked. So, I mean, oh, my God. I'm so glad we're not being problematic with this. I I was on the edge of my seat hoping you weren't going to say, and so we just fucked up Women's History Month.
0: (laughs) No, no. (laughs) See, I had to terrify you there to bring you back home, but do you see now why I was so intrigued before? I know. It's fascinating.
1: Well, I... (laughs) Mark, I think it's probably time we got into our topic, but I just wanted to just wish everybody out there uh, happy Women's History Month. Yeah, girl power.
0: Definitely. All right, come at us with your your second hot take. I set you up for this uh, one. You, yeah, I'm
1: nervous about this. Okay. Cuz cuz
0: you know the game I'm talking about.
1: Okay. So, my second hot take is also a pair of games. Uh I guess I can't coach this. It's Legend of Zelda, the Ocarina of Time, and Legend of Zelda Link to the Past.
0: Now, full disclosure, I've played both of these. These are the first ones on DJ's list I have played that I do own. And I have to admit, Ocarina of Time almost made my list. Yeah,
1: I Now, l- let me preface this by saying... The Legend of Zelda is one of my all-time favorite game series in my list. There are times when I list my top ten games, and, like, three or four of them are easily Zelda games. So, I've played both these games. I've beaten Ocarina of Time about four different times. Uh, I've gotten pretty close to beating Link to the Past, but I I, I don't know why. I just kind of give up after a while. Um, I've played... I've played every game in the series other than like Zelda CDI or whatever it was. Um, and for both Ocarina of Time and Link to the Past, there were games that were released right around when these two games were released. Now, now they're, they're separated quite a ways, right? Ocarina of Time is Nintendo 64, Link to the Past was Super Nintendo. Um, But around the time that Link to the Past was released, we got Link's Awakening. Uh, Around the time that Ocarina of Time got released, we got Majora's Mask. And to me, while I recognize... It's kind of like... I feel like Ocarina of Time and Link to the Past are like the Beatles of video games. While I have a great deal of respect for the impact that they had on the industry, I don't fucking like them. And uh, so, Link to the Past, uh, it's a solid game. It kind of sets a lot of precedence for the series. I prefer Link's Awakening, and I definitely prefer, like, Link to the Past uh, had, it set a lot of precedence, like having Dark World. I thought the um, Oracle of Seasons and Oracle of Ages did the alternate world a little bit better. Uh, and I, I think the follow-up kind of fixed some of the problems that I found from the old one. I know Link to the Past is it's, it's many people's darlings. I didn't get into it when it was huge, and by the time I returned to it, I had played 20 other Zelda games, and Link to the Past wasn't new enough for me. Uh, for Ocarina of Time, I like it. I had a ton of fun when I first played the game, I find it a little bit generic after having played a billion Zelda games at this point. But I think, I mean, it's it's not derivative. Like, it is what what is at the root of most modern Zelda games at this point. Um, my big problem with Ocarina of Time is that I don't feel like Majora's Mask got a fair shake. And Majora's Mask was almost on my underrated list. Um, but Majora's Mask, in my opinion improved on Ocarina of Time in every single facet, every single way. Um, and I, I think it's a superior game. I think it has a superior story. I think the the friendships you make along the way are way more compelling. Um, I, I think Ocarina of Time did a good thing for the series. It's just... It doesn't rate in my favorite video games even close. I think it's just because it was the first to do what it did, it gets a lot of hype in the industry. Um, And same thing with Link to the
0: It's a lot like Seinfeld. I mean, there actually is a trope now just called Seinfeld is unfunny Mm -hmm. because Seinfeld did so many things first that are now just taken for granted that if you watch it now, and I'm guilty of this, when Seinfeld was on TV, I watched it every week. I never missed an episode. Now I can't stand it. And I think Ocarina of time is the same way. It was absolutely groundbreaking when it came out, but now you play it and it's just like, eh, it almost feels like it hasn't aged well. Yeah. And it's just, you know, I mean, it's fine for what it is. I mean, when it was new, I was playing battle tanks. Yeah. Uh, that, that was the game everybody in my class uh, was playing was Ocarina of time. If you haven't picked up on that, but, uh, You know, I went back and played it not all that long later. A kid I was going to Sunday school with had the the golden cartridge and he loaned it to me. And, you know, it was fine for what it was. But I, even back then, I didn't think that it was the absolute mammoth shift that everyone was saying it was.
1: Yeah, I, I thought it was really great. I don't, like, looking back now, and I know it was kind of a result of the time, but I felt like... I don't know, I it, it's just, it's so, it's just kind of a generic storyline, and it's the generic storyline that really, ha- Zelda didn't break out of until probably Wind Waker, with with some,
0: you know, and, and even- Wind Waker almost made my underrated list. I love oh, Wind Oh yeah, Waker.
1: I, I, I have nothing bad to say about Wind Waker. It is one of the most amazing games ever made. Um, I actually, Wind Waker is the only game that I think the remake actually made it better. I didn't play the remake. Uh, it, it, it it took the one agonizing part of Wind Waker, which was collecting the golden forks, and it streamlined it just enough to not be a slog.
0: So it wasn't like three and a half hours just that. Part? No,
1: no, it it made it. I think you could get a couple of the maps in one place, and and I think two of the forks were pretty close to each other. It it, it streamlined that whole process, and they introduced a new item that you could get, uh, like mid to midway through the game, that was an improved sail. That when you hit the sail button twice, it would change the direction of the wind and the way you were facing.
0: Yeah, that would have saved me a lot of swear. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, that that's that's my my picks for overrated. I think that if they are your favorites, I'm totally fine with that. There is no problem with these games. They're not bad. I just I think the games that came after them improved on them in every single way. I, I almost put the Zelda Oracle games on my underrated because I never hear anybody talk about the Oracle games, and they're amazing. They're legitimately huge improvements on the model that Link to the Past established. So, what's your second overrated?
0: Well, my second overrated is going to mean nothing to probably a good chunk of our audience, but those of us that are of our age are probably going to just start screaming at their smart device or phone or whatever they're listening to. Uh, we've done two episodes so far on the console wars. Yeah. Uh, both episodes, I have picked the Sega console. Yep. Uh, I enjoy Sega. I'm a Sega man. This is one of their first party games that I, I don't get. And even today... It's held up as this fantastic, you know, if you have a Sega Genesis, this needs to be one of the first four or five games you have to own. I'm
1: with you on this one. I honestly, to this day, every time I hear someone say they love this game, I feel like I'm being trolled.
0: Yeah, I, and I, I don't get it. So we won't keep you in suspense any longer. 1992, the Sega Genesis, Echo the Dolphin. I don't get it, man. And for those of you at home, I'm going to read you the actual official game synopsis here. Are you ready for this? Yes, please. You are Echo, a bottlenose dolphin who travels through time to combat hostile extraterrestrials in Earth's oceans and on their own alien spacecraft. That's the fucking official summary of the game. (laughs) And... Okay, so you think, like, oh, well, this is clearly some kind of, like, late 80s, early 90s action film where, like, you know, you're a humanoid dolphin with, like, machine guns and they No, you're an actual dolphin. You have an air meter. You have to surface and breathe because, you know, you're a dolphin and you can't breathe underwater. You can talk to clams like 60s Aquaman. (laughs) You have to swim by rapidly mashing the A button until you break your controller. Yeah. And somewhere in there is an underwater platform game where you attack aliens by swimming into them really fast. And I don't get it. The graphics weren't even that good for the time. I mean, you compare that to the original Sonic the Hedgehog, which is the ugliest of all the Sonic games, but even that was far prettier than than Echo. It, It was a great be a dolphin simulator. I the, um, it's one of those like, it,
1: <laughs> weird things where I I don't know if you feel the same way but anytime there was a water level in one of the early Mario games I always found them super tedious and then I tried playing Echo the Dolphin I was like this is just
0: it's the whole the game the whole
1: game is a water level
0: if you've ever played the really bad really hard uh Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game for the NES mm. The underwater dam level that was like the second or third level of the game that was almost impossible to beat. Imagine a whole game that way. <laughs> and that was Echo to the Dolphin. And it's still just this day held up as this, you know, fantastic game changer. You know, oh, t- ten games you must play. And well, and I, I don't understand it. I mean, there are certain games you play and you know instantly the bar has been raised. Doom, the original Doom on the PC nothing like that had ever come before. Yeah. Um, If you want to look at a shooter on consoles, GoldenEye, like, you could do this on a console. Super Mario 64 for platformers. Uh, You know, there there are certain games that that show up that just instantly raise the bar. This wasn't one of them. I'm sorry. Uh, And it... was a long line. It had a lot of games. I think the one for the Sega CD actually was like a dark version and it had like their version of an M rating because this is all long before the ESRB and Sega had their own rating system. And I seem to recall that there were only like two games that had their version of an M rating. And I thought one of them was this weird echo, the dolphin variant. (laughs) So it, it kept going for years and years and years. I never played any of them besides the first one if you could find it on an emulator for free, try it, but I I don't think you'll be all that impressed. What's, uh, what's your second underrated?
1: My second underrated. And I, I had to relook this up to see if they ever did anything else with it. And it's a little bit infuriating that this never got a follow up. but some of my favorite games never get sequels. So I'm not surprised. Um, it, it's a little known game that came out for the, the Cube, the PS2, and the Xbox. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it hit North America in November of 2003, and it's called Metal
0: Arms Glitch
1: in the System.
0: Did you ever play this? I have, actually, on your recommendation. Mm. I forget what we were talking about, but we, I think we were just talking about the GameCube the one day, and you had mentioned it, and I had no idea what you were talking about. And by the end of it, you had convinced me. And, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and it, it has no reason to be this fun. Um, and and the, the, funny, the funny thing that I thought um, around this is that it's the same company that made Hydro Thunder,
0: Another game that had no reason being anywhere near as good as it was. Yeah, but it's still...
1: Hydro Thunder is my favorite arcade game, hands down. Um, So Metal Arms Glitch in the System was... uh, There were no humans in the game whatsoever. It was all robots. And uh, it was about this... um, the the this scientist who caused like part of a robot uprising to he like created this evil dude named General Corrosive and Corrosive created a bunch of soldiers and any the soldiers and General Corrosive enslaved all the droids on the planet and if a droid revolted he got deactivated and you played one of these droids and it's it's a like a third person shooter. I think it's third person. I I would have to play it. It's been probably ten years since I picked it back up, uh, but I I beat this game like four times. Like I just I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. The guns were all weirdly unique. You know, you, you had your traditional like pistol, and you had a a shotgun type game. But like the the shotgun was like it was like a rivet gun that did like a spread blast, and there was like a precision gun that, that shot razor blades that tore up, uh, robots from the inside. And depending on how you shot the razor blade one, you could disable the limbs of your the robots you were fighting. Like just, it was weirdly detailed and had no, no reason to be as good as it was. And, uh, I, I just remember, uh, there was, uh, the shop keeps in the game are really funny. And like, there's a big tall guy who doesn't talk. I think they were they might have been based on, like, Penn & Teller or something like that. Um, but the, the shorter one uh, was like, ah, wise guy, eh. Huh? You know, a little Calloway. And uh, he, uh, he, anytime you would walk up to a shop, if you purchase something, he'd say something like, Cash your card, paper or plastic. And it was just this great interaction. They were, they were just these great bit characters that would show up everywhere. So, I, if you can get it, I I assume it's probably pretty cheap these days. Um, if you get it on like Cube or PS2, I, I love it. Uh Metal Arms glitch in the system. It's so much fun, man.
0: Yeah, I imagine <laughs> uh I would say if you're gonna look for it, look for it on the PS2 because, um, like most cube games, it, I don't think it had that great of a printing. No, no. Basically, if it didn't have Zelda or Resident Evil in the title, most cube games are pretty hard to come by for acceptable prices anymore. Yeah.
1: Uh, so what's your second underrated?
0: All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick this one so we can end on a really happy note with the other one, but I'm going to take. Fallout 4. Yes. So we're going to go super recent here. Now, before you all get out your torches and pitchforks, I have played every single Fallout game. Even the ones you've never heard of. I've played Tactics. I've played Brotherhood of Steel. I have the board game and the expansion. The only Fallout games I haven't played are 76, which if I get drunk enough, one day I'm going to buy Yep. And the actual pen and paper tabletop game, because it's out of print and I can't afford it. (laughs) But I've played every other Fallout game, so just calm down. And no, it is not the best Fallout game, not even close, and it's not my favorite Fallout game. But there seems to be this very early revisionist history, because the game only came out in 2015, so it's not even six years old yet. There's this revisionist history that this is by far the worst game in the series and that it's killed the entire series and it's going to tank and blah, 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 blah. Bitch, please. Just calm down. (laughs) So I'm going to talk about all the good things the game has going for it. Um, Number one, you know, it continues the story. All the Fallout games were kind of broad stroke games. You know, that was the one fun thing about New Vegas, was it picked up a lot of references, it picked up a lot of um, past events from especially Fallout 1 and 2 on the PC. But for the most part, they're all broad strokes. I mean, even the official Bethesda canon is, until it is retconned in another game, it's canon. So, you know, Tactics, Brotherhood of Steel, 76, the Fallout Bible, the really bad novels, it's all vaguely canon, unless it's directly contradicted by a mainline game. And Fallout 4 picked up a lot of things from Fallout 3. You had the Institute, you had the Commonwealth. Um, The Brotherhood of Steel comes back with, you know, one of the characters that you meet in the Brotherhood of Steel. Some of your uh, companions are characters that you run into in Fallout 3. So picks up on that, which was a big complaint of the fan base. Another big complaint about the fan base was that in all these games, even though we're now, what, 210, 215 years past when the Great War was, you never see society rebuilding. It's always the same crappy way that it's been since the war. And they tried to touch on this a little bit in New Vegas with the actual city of New Vegas, but that had never been hit. So that was never rebuilt. It just hadn't been destroyed in the first place. Yeah. Well in Fallout 4, you can build new settlements. You literally can rebuild the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes, it's a drastic gameplay change. But it's a one, it's completely optional. And two, it's there specifically to dress the address the number one complaint of the fan base. So there you go. You want the Commonwealth rebuilt, rebuild it your damn self. And three, it's Open world, really, even compared to New Vegas and to Fallout 3, Fallout 4 is not really an RPG. It's a sandbox game. It is. You can do whatever the bloody hell you want to do. And that is such a nice change of pace because here we go. Here comes the hot take. We're going to slaughter some sacred cows here. Fallout 1 and 2 just railroaded the fuck out of you. (laughs) Those gay oh, they were so slow and so tedious and you had to go place to place, place place. Were they fun? Yes. Were they great games? Yes. Did they establish a great series? Yes. But choo-choo, better have your tickets because you're on the fucking railroad. <laughs> uh, so to see it come full circle now is wonderful. Now, I think they went a little too far from everything I've heard about 76, but having never played it, uh, I-, I can't give an opinion one way or the other. But, you know, I get it. You know, Fallout 4 is a pretty big change especially if, you know, you've been playing since Fallout 1, but it's not the worst game that they've made, and it's, you know, there's the whole argument, oh, it's not a true Fallout game. Yes, yes, it is. Like, just stop. (laughs) Just calm down. You know, uh, even even Doom Eternal, you know, I bitched that it's not a Doom game. It's a Doom game. It's not a good one, but it's a Doom game. Same thing with fallout four it's it's not not a it, not a good one necessarily, but it's not the worst, and it is a fallout game
1: yeah so
0: give a little love to that and it's pretty cheap now, and all the is pretty cheap. DLC actually added quite a bit to it. You get several more hours with each one, so shout out to that nice all right and uh, <laughs> end this madness for your most overrated, which I know which one it's going to be and oh boy
1: <sighs> yeah I it's Minecraft, guys, and uh, which again I've never played. Yeah, I, I and I do own it. Uh, I own it on the iPad, and I, I have it on Steam. I think I even uh, had like a free copy on PS3 for a while, and I I confess to not getting it. Um, I I grew up playing with Legos as a kid. I love, like, creative building and stuff like that. I've seen people do amazing things with Minecraft online. Like, I, I think somebody built the first Mario game entirely in Minecraft. Um, but I got... I've probably put in, like, ten hours into Minecraft. I played a little bit of story mode, and that was better. But I, I don't get it. Uh... I don't really get the the making of things to be its own end. Like I, and maybe this is just that I am, I'm an old fuddy duddy at this point, and I don't really get this kind of game. But I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like there's no until they produce story mode. There's no real, there was no real story behind it. The graphics were very. You know, m- blocky Minecraft graphics that don't—it doesn't doesn't really appeal to me. And it's just everybody loves this game. I know so many people who play this game, and I wish I got it. It's one of those that I I picked it up time and time and time again because I was astounded at how many people whose opinions about video games I respect loved this game, and I just don't get it. I I. I don't understand why people are into it, what people do. I tried playing online a little bit, uh, and I built a tiny house and then somebody blew it the fuck up and I was like, fuck this. And I hated it. Um, the first time, one of those things, like I'd spent like two hours crafting this cute little cabin and one of those fucking green things exploded it. And I was like, what? I hate this game and I never want to play it again. um, it's the one, uh... It's the one, like, theme in LEGO that doesn't tempt me whatsoever. There are Minecraft LEGO sets in the real world. And I, I look at them and I'm like, I feel nothing. <laughs> I feel nothing about this. Uh, I, and maybe... Like, I don't think... I Maybe I don't even really consider it overrated. I just don't get it. Everybody I know seems to fucking love Minecraft. I'm sitting here going... I, What's the point?
0: The, boy, the boat left and you weren't <laughs> no. on No.
1: I, I have tried swimming to that boat, folks. It, nope.
0: <laughs> it's gone. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, that's my... Uh, and honestly, it's not really like... I don't hate Minecraft. I, I wish I liked it because it seems like it could be a lot of fun... Like the the crafting aspect seemed like it could be cool and the idea of being able to mine and I don't know, man. I don't it's like in that category of games where the creative play is the point of the game. Like Sims and Second Life, Minecraft, uh Terraria to a degree. Uh I, I just don't get them. I it's not like, I, I like having an objective, you know, maybe this is like my, my inner love of Japanese RPGs, where as amazing as they are, that they, they're a bit railroady, but I like there being like a point. And I, I, I don't want to say Minecraft is pointless, but I certainly don't understand what's going on.
0: Yeah, that's another game I, I haven't played because I actually like some of those creative games. Um, I enjoyed the the first couple of Sims before it really went you know all kinds of crazy. I I, I was in the PlayStation Home beta if you remember that. That was a yeah. Sony's awful version of Second Life that basically took up your entire PS3 hard drive. Uh, I like Seven Days to Die. That's a lot of fun. It, but Minecraft, I've just I've never attempted. I,
1: I understand the point of crafting in, like, a survival game. Like, I played Ark for a while, and I couldn't get past the poop. But I got it. Like, it it was a cool concept. Um, And I love playing the forest with you guys. But, like, there's still a loose story in those, right? Like, in Ark, you have to figure out why the fuck you're there and what's inside these arcs. In the forest, you have to figure out why the fuck there's all of these abominations trying to kill you and escape the island. So there's, like... Even in survival games, there's like loose ideas around what the fuck you're supposed to be doing. Uh, I I just I didn't get it. I, it's like somebody walked in a room and dumped out five thousand Legos onto the floor and was like, "Here, go build something." And I, I think at one point in my childhood, I really would have enjoyed that. And nowadays, I'm just, I just identify as tired, and I don't get it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I can kind of relate, because with me, it was Little Big Planet. Mm. I mean, I know those games are super popular, and it's like the same thing, you know, or Super Mario Maker. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, same thing. This whole series of games that are like, create your own shit.
0: And it's like, but, eh. So, all right. So, there you go. You could address all hate tweets to Um, DJ at... At at (laughs)
1: Wallyo86. Yes
0: i'll forward them line,
1: <laughs> all right uh what's your last overrated because i have fucking opinions
0: i know you would i i was deciding between a few different ones because uh, there's a few games that you know I, other games i own that i think are overrated and i said no this will make for good listening uh, mark's killing one of my darlings So we're, this is the whole series at large now, but we're mostly going to focus on the first one in the interest of time. We're going back to 2009. It's Borderlands.
1: I I will give you the first one. I will give you the first one.
0: Which is weird because the first one's the best one. It's not. It's the worst Uh, one. (laughs) Which is the low bar to clear. Uh, I've played every one of these games except for the newest one. And if there's a just and loving God, I never. God will. damn it. The, it's a cool concept. It's your standard first-person shooter, but the art style is cool. It's cel shaded, and it kind of has like a Scott Pilgrim versus the World thing, where like digital numbers pop up, and you have a HUD, and there's like full-motion video sequences just randomly. Like it, it's all a lot to take in. I'm at, I i do not do hallucinogenic drugs, but I imagine if I did, it would be. Fucking wild. <laughs> um, and I mean, even just looking at it, it's cool. It looks neat. It has some fun characters. Um, I liked the guy who drove the bus. Yeah. I don't remember his name, uh, but he was funny. Yeah, he's pretty good. Marcus, yeah. Um, you know, and it has a decent enough shooting system. You know, you run and you gun, and the story is that you are vault hunters, and you're searching for this mysterious vault that nobody knows what it is. Is it like the Ark of the Covenant? Is it the Holy Grail? Is it treasure? Is it weapons? Nobody knows. But, you know, you're there, and it only opens once every so many millennia on this distant space colony planet that you're on. Okay, fair enough. Got to kill a bunch of guys. The problem is... It's a slog. And when I say it's a slog, I don't just mean that it's grindy, because it is. Um, But I like grindy games. I mean... My number three game on the PlayStation 4 little this-is-your-life bullshit that they put out at the end of the year was Diablo 3. Oh, my God. So don't get me wrong. I like grindy games. <laughs> but this is just... There's not really an objective. You know, you have to keep going back to the same place. There's a lot of backtracking. There's a lot of killing of the mm-hmm. same enemies. And it keeps... Going Every time you get, you think you're at the next point, no. And every time you think you're at the next point, no. Blah, blah, blah. blah. Oh, then go back here. Then go back there. The other problem, at least I had, and I'll admit that I think this is more of a problem with the game system, like the engine, than it is with the game itself, just random chance, is they advertise on the back of the box for the first game. And I know because I looked it up because, again, I was playing all these again this week to ready myself. That they have this such-and-such engine, I forget the name of it, but there is a literal infantile number of weapons in the game. Basically, you have a random number generator that makes your weapons, which at the time was pretty trick. Mm-hmm. That wasn't that wasn't common. The problem is you always get something super high powered early and you almost never get rid of it. Yeah. You just go hours and hours and hours just getting vendor trash.
1: It- I will I will give the game series credit. They did fix that towards the end of two and in three.
0: So you have that, and then you get to the ending, which for number one is just the worst ending in all. I mean but if you Google worst ending is in video games, most lists have it. If it's not number one, it's on the mm-hmm. list. Which I won't ruin, but it was just it was so bad. The DLC was a little bit better, especially story-wise, but again, it was just so grindy, so repetitive. Just go to the same area, kill the same five guys, leave. Let them respawn, come back, kill the same five guys. It's okay, blah, blah, blah. That's that's the, the first game. The second game, you get Handsome Jack. Now, Handsome Jack is widely regarded as one of the greatest video game characters of all time. and I'm going to steal a line from DJ here. I don't get it.
1: I'll give you that. I don't see it. I didn't find him nearly as appealing as the rest of gamers did.
0: Uh, And I'm a guy who roots for the villain. You don't need to be that charming of a villain to get me on your side. Good sucks. Uh, I, I didn't get it. The game was also... Horribly broken for multiplayer. Basically, if you didn't start characters together and didn't play them together and only together, the balance was shit and was just awful. Um, So that was that. I never finished the second game. I got pretty far in it, but I never finished it. And then I played the pre-sequel. And the pre-sequel is interesting because most people that I talk to that love the series hate the pre-sequel. I loved it. And I don't understand why, because it plays exactly the same as all the other games. <laughs> They're all the same. They're Call of Duty. It's just a different coat of paint on the same game. See,
1: so my, this is one of those games where, okay, so the formula is the same. They tweak it and they make the mechanics a little bit better with each iteration. It's a bit like Assassin's Creed in that, in that respect. Um, but for me, the third game was where the, the series really hit home for me. Because for a game series that's dystopic and wastelandish and it's a bit Mad Max and it's meant to be, uh, you know, irreverent and there's poop humor
0: everywhere. Yeah. And see, okay, I'm glad you brought that up because that, believe it or not, was a big turnoff, too. Because don't get me wrong, I love toilet humor, I love gross-out humor, I love sexual humor. But it was such a one-trick pony, and it loses its shock value so early. Like, the first boss in the first game is Nine Toes. Yeah. And his tagline underneath, when he pops up, it says, This is Nine Toes, he also has three balls. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so when you play you're like this is for you laugh, you're like, oh fuck, I can't believe they said that. Well, in the next hour, you get 17 more jokes just like that. Yeah. And and it's not funny it, anymore. It's not.
1: The one thing that I will defend the series was with is uh Borderlands 3 did one of the best jobs with a video game series turning the ship to be more representative. Uh like for instance it's the only game series I've ever seen that you used the word midget extensively throughout the series. Yes. And in the third game, completely wiped it. And like the game studio came out and was like, hey, we didn't quite realize how offensive that was. We're sorry. And we're fixing that. And they there's more women in the game. The like the, the enemies that you're fighting are equally men and women in the third game compared to what it was before. One of the DLCs is literally a gay marriage, so it's. Uh, I give it a lot of credit for, upping its, its representation in the in the latest game because, I don't know any games with that kind of. Humor and flavor that are doing anything even remotely that awesome. So that that is my one pitch for for Borderlands Three here.
0: And I mean that's fair. Um, I'll just end it with you know, this is the same studio Gearbox is the same studio that brought you Duke Nukem Forever, and I enjoyed Duke Nukem Forever more. Oh. <laughs> And that was another game that relied way too much on gross-out humor and wasn't funny and had broken weapons and yada, yada, yada. But if you gave me, especially the first, well, I didn't really any of them. I didn't really enjoy any of them. But if you gave me a Borderlands game and you gave me Duke Nukem Forever and said, you have to play one of these, I, well, if I have to, oh, God, you know, I probably would take Duke Nukem Forever. So do better, Gearbox. You're better than that. Fair. All right, what's your last underrated?
1: Uh, My last uh, underrated, and and the last one I really have on my list here, is uh, a series. You did Borderlands. I'm doing the Mega Man Battle Network series.
0: Good choice. You
1: ever played these?
0: I played a few. I haven't played all of them. Yeah,
1: it's it's kind of the weird unsung side of of Mega Man. The series debuted in uh, 2001 on the Game Boy Advance. And all told, uh, I, I've never really actually counted, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's like eight sets of games. Uh, the mainline series got up to six. Um, and the later ones that were very much not as popular. I think I got through Battle Network 3, uh, and I did Network Transmission on the GameCube. Um, it... It basically reboots the Mega Man series. Um, it posits an alternate universe with humans in it. It makes Mega Man an RPG. There's items and it, it's it combines like grid-based strategy, RPG, and like card draw systems. It, it, I don't know. It's one of the most bizarre series that I've ever really. Uh, had the pleasure of playing, but it all worked.
0: Um, no, it, it was real. I mean, there were various points in them that it did feel like the developers just had a bunch of genres on a dartboard and were throwing darts at them. Yeah. But it kind of was all balanced out in the yeah. end. It was It was bizarre. Like Like multiple times you would sit there playing it going, this should be terrible. Exactly. And it wasn't. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and and unfortunately, I, we haven't seen a a remake of these since. Like the the series is just lost to time at this point. There's rumors uh, that we may get a remake on the Switch because um, uh, the Switch has been heavily investing in uh, remakes of all of the original Mega Man series. So we've already gotten uh, the originals. Uh, we already got the Mega Man X series and there is a thought that we're going to get this year uh, to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Battle Network, a full remake collection of the whole series, which I will just, I will endlessly play that shit. That's amazing. Um, like
0: how quick from the announcement till you pre-order it?
1: Like, it as soon as announce announcement, I, I will have it pre-ordered. <laughs> uh, Best Buy is weirdly good, by the way, for anybody who's who's curious about this. Uh, I generally do no spoiler runs for for any new Pokemon games. I, I'll like unsubscribe from shit on social media and lock down my, 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 uh, my newsreader so I don't, I don't get any spoilers. Um, and the only way I can really do it is that Best Buy, as soon as a big announcement trailer is done for uh, any new game, Best Buy is the first site that always has pre-orders open and they generally will have the pre-orders out there before the covers of the games are released, and they honor their pre-orders. Like, if you pre-order it that early, it just sits there, and then they'll send it to you when, when you're done. So uh, for Pokemon Gen 8, I pre-ordered both games on Best Buy's site. Didn't even know what the covers... They- I got the games in my hands before ever seeing the covers of the games.
0: He's that diehard. Yeah, Pax. it's a lot of fun. I remember fun. going to PAX with him, and we had to keep going around the one side where the Nintendo booth was. Yeah. So we wouldn't accidentally catch a glimpse.
1: Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. If you, uh, I, I would say that's probably my, my underrated video game experience. Uh, if you are a huge fan of a video game series, try it. J- just try it. As soon as they announce that next entry into your favorite series... Uh, lock down your social media so it doesn't add sh- add show you anything related to it, and like if you've got a newsreader just set it to to um, headlines instead of showing you any images. And it's a really easy way for you to just be able to live that that '90s video game life, right? Uh, when we didn't know a video game was out until we saw it on mm-hmm. the fucking shelf
0: yeah I mean the only way you really knew was i mean i if you had any of the magazine subscriptions, but even then you'd get like the previews were seriously, maybe half a page, two paragraphs, two or three blurry ass screenshots yeah <laughs> and that was it all
1: right, so what's your what's your underrated your last one
0: i'm gonna. End end us on the greatest game you've never played. And I know that everyone listening has never played it because nobody played it because it literally forced the closure of the studio because it bombed that hard. Yeah. And I am ending with the saboteur. Very nice. Going back to 2009 or no, this is 2010. I'm sorry to 2009 and 2010 had just a lot of both good and bad games. Uh, the saboteur is basically Walio the game. <laughs> it takes place during occupied France, during World War II. And you are a, you know, hard drinking Irishman who's very open of his love of whiskey. Who is an ex-race car driver who fights the Nazis. And it's like, oh, okay, blah, blah, blah. So I remember being in college when they announced the game, and I'm like, well, that's just a day one buy on general principle. And then I dug a little deeper and found out that it's all kind of, sort of, loosely based on a true story. For you see, there was kind of, sort of this gentleman. His real name was William Grover Williams, and he was a pre-war Grand Prix driver, who was living in France, who was recruited by the SOE, which was basically, uh, the British spy agency, you know, British intelligence. Uh, Winston Churchill called it the ministry of ungentlemanly warfare, which is the greatest name in history for any office. Yes. Um, and they basically, uh, did a lot of sabotage acts against the Nazis. Most of them sadly were captured and tortured and brutally murdered. Uh, Their files were just recently declassified, as in 2006, 2007. And Joe Soward, who's a great uh, motorsports journalist, wrote a book on them called The Grand Prix Saboteurs." William Grover Williamson was the biggest one, but there was a few others. And this game is sort of based off of that book, which is really cool. Uh, I was able to get a copy of the book finally. It was very hard to get in America, and so when you when you're listening to this, you, you'll have noticed already uh, for the episode that you know my my crown is flanked by both the game case and the book. Uh, but basically, you know, you're this race car driver. You hang out in France, and it is a completely open world game. It's Pandemic Studios made it, so they're the same people that made the Mercenaries games. They made some of the Star Wars Battlefront games. Uh, If you're a nerd like me, they made the Army Men RTS game. And you could drive around a shrunk down version of Paris. You can blow up. There is literally over 1,100 free play sabotage targets. Whoa. And to get the platinum, of course, you have to get all of them. There are missions. There's like a lot of fun characters. You know, you have the woman spy that is sort of like one of... Sean, who's your main character, his, one of his ex-girlfriends, and they just snipe at each other the whole time, but now they have to work together. And if you know anything at all about history and about the time frame, the game just slaps you in upside the head with references. You know, you have this wonderful uh, German state-funded organization that's winning every auto race before the war, but they're secretly building vehicles and airplane engines for Germany. They call them Doppelzig, but of course they're Mercedes-Benz. You know, Mercedes raced the silver arrows. When you finally steal one of the Mercedes race cars later in the game, it's the silver dart you know so it's just things like that all of the cars are very they're, they're real models just with the names changed it, it, it's absolutely fantastic and it's just rated M for manly you know you could drink constantly you could smoke constantly you could kill people and your hideout is in a strip club and the pre-order bonus, this is right when pre-order bonuses started, the pre-order bonus was a code in the game that turned off the nipple pasties. <laughs> so so literally, if you pre-ordered the game without doing anything, because they sent you a different version or whatever, the very first image when you boot up the game in an unsinnable skip is a pair of tits. <laughs> it's the first image in the game. Uh, that, coupled with its somewhat controversial stance that makes the French resistance a lot more active than they were in real life, which I'm not going to get into here or there, coupled with uncensored, insane amounts of Nazi imagery everywhere, made this a bit of a hot-button game, and it didn't sell very well at all, and Pandemic Studios was forced to close because they lost an assload of money on this game, and 266 people lost their jobs because of it, which is unfortunate. Um, it's a fantastic game, especially if you love open-world GTA-style games. The graphics haven't held up. I've been playing it this week, and it is pretty ugly, especially for a 2010 game. But the writing is hysterical. Even though Sean's Fookin accent is terrible, he sounds like me trying to do a bloody Fookin Irish accent. <laughs> Um, it's bloody terrible, but uh, the gameplay is fun, the writing is fun, and if you know anything about occupied France, it's just like history porn in video game form. So pick it up. It is, it's, I was going to say it's pretty cheap, but it actually kind of isn't because it's pretty rare. But if you can find it, definitely give it a shot. Oh, and the I for, almost forgot, the coolest part of the game, the coolest mechanic of the game, keeping in with this film noir gritty... Braided M for manly thing is the game starts off completely in black and white. There's only subtle little uh, touches of color, like Sean has green eyes, so you could see the green in his eyes. The Nazis patrolling, you could see their red armbands. But as you do more missions in the area and you inspire hope, more and more color fills the, the screen oh, in different that's regions. Amazing. It's actually really cool. And so, like, when you're on a police chase, you could go from, like, full color to sepia to black and white, back to full color. It was a really fun mechanic. It takes a little getting used to, especially in the black and white areas. It can make some of the missions harder, but it's really cool.
1: Nice. All right, really quick before we end, if you had to recommend one kind of off-the-wall game on any system for our listeners to go check out what would it be and no explanation why you can only name the game
0: Mm -hmm. well can it be a game that you can't play anymore because I think the server shut down Sure. Evolve okay Uh,
1: mine uh, would be the game Second Sight it was released on uh, GameCube and PS2 take us out buddy
0: I'm just in shock that we, we're still going. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These video game topics. What is it with us? All right. Well, th- if you're all still listening, thank you. <laughs> so uh, big shout out for that. Of course, we are on uh, Facebook. We are on Instagram. We have a Gmail account. I think we have a YouTube that doesn't have anything on there. Uh, of course, we have our website. On everything, we are the Wit & Whiskey Cast. No H in wit, but there is an E in whiskey. Uh, So be sure to check us out, like us, follow us, subscribe. Give us a five-star rating if you would be so kind. We have a few so far. We're being noticed. I've been following different things. Uh, The analytics are only going up each and every week. The downloads, the listens, and I I do thank you all for that. Uh, Like I said, we're available on 19 different places. Basically, if you want us, you could find us. Google us. We're there. Yeah, definitely. You can listen to us. And if you have a preferred way to listen to us that we're not on yet, let us know. I'll try to get us on there. What the hell? Yeah. Uh, so that's that. Big shout out to Nuno Henry Silva for our intro and outro music, as always. We'll uh, definitely have his info, as usual, uh, to his SoundCloud in the notes. So just give him a listen if you haven't already. His shit's really good. Go on Amazon, buy his book. Yeah, I mean, you know the drill by now. We're well, Come on, we're one and a half seasons in here. Yeah. And uh, so should we talk about next week? Yes, we should. I'm very excited. (laughs) So next week, we're going to have another guest. (laughs) And uh, it's going to be my father. It's going to be the other Mark Horsen. I'm excited. And and there's a reason for this. Uh, We are going to discuss drag racing and whiskey. You have to be, you know, they, they joke that racing is a, a gentleman's sport, that it's a rich man's sport, that you have to be privileged in order to be in racing. Well, I certainly wasn't a rich boy, but I was privileged in that I had a I have a mechanic father who supports my addictions, <laughs> and because of that, I got a lot of free labor to rebuild things that I broke. So, And he's been doing it a lot longer than I have. He's been a mechanic since he was 15. He's been in racing since the mid-'80s, and he's going to come and... Uh, tell a few stories. In, in racing, when you when you sit around and you bullshit about your exploits, you call it bench racing. So uh, he's going to come over and do a little bench racing with us next week over a glass of I don't know what yet because he's picking what he and I are reviewing. That's awesome. So it's going to be terrible. It's going to burn. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's what we're going to do next week. So everything you've wanted to know about driving in a straight line very fast, you will find out next week. Yeah,
1: I I picked out an actual whiskey. So uh, if if Papa Rossetti decides to take you down the Christian Brothers route, um, I I got you covered, buddy.
0: I was very thankful in that apparently you can no longer buy Corby's in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. (laughs) I, I only presume because the distillery has been shut down by the Department of Health. But he did actually make me look on the... Uh, State Monopoly app to see if they had it, which of course they don't, thank God. But the last bottle of that I had bought, which was in college, it was $8.99 for a fit <laughs> just, to, just to give you some idea, folks. Um, but thankfully it won't be that. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's going to be good. And uh, God only knows, you know, how long we're going to go next week because when the two of us get together with a bottle, we could talk and God Not only knows how much editing you're going to have to do.
1: Yeah, you <laughs> know. it might get a little wild. I, I'm glad that I marked this as uh, explicit from the beginning, just in case.
0: Better safe than sorry. Yeah. So, all right. As, as we come in just under two hours here by my watch, <laughs> I am Mark Rossetti for DJ Gagnon. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Salute. Cheers.